Hello, and welcome to Historical Context. This is a podcast that features insights from me, Will, one of the world's oldest living millennials. Uh, The purpose and goal of this podcast really is to take an episode-by-episode approach to different aspects of daily life, which a lot of people take for granted or don't realize. These are people who are quote-unquote millennials, of which I'm a part of, people who are generally born anytime in the 80s all the way about to the year 2000. And each episode of the podcast is going to focus on a practical aspect of daily life that has changed immensely, radically, over the last two decades. And specifically, this is going to be connected to things that have really changed before, one, the information revolution, so before access to data or amounts of data uh, were not issues. For example, nowadays, almost nobody looks at data as a barrier. Like, this is X amount of kilobytes. This is X amount of gigabytes. That's not going to hold you back. And access to data nowadays, too, is also ubiquitous, right? We all have wireless internet or 4G connectivity through our phones. We can stream movies. We can do emails. We can print things, et cetera, et cetera. So this is really going to look at how people did things before Internet was widely available, connectivity was widely available, and before we had this vast information revolution. So to give you an idea, something concrete, for example, before this massive information revolution, you have no internet or the internet is very basic, how would you book a hotel? How would you know how much the hotel room cost? How would you know if the hotel had any rooms available? Similarly, How would you book a plane flight? Say you want to fly from San Diego to Seattle. How do you know how much that costs? How do you know what times the flights are? How do you know if there was a seat available? What did the airlines do to actually price the seat? This is before orbits. This is before Travelocity. So we're going to explore each of those type of of topics in detail with every single episode. We're also going to look at other aspects of daily life. For example, what the world was like before YouTube. How did people store data with respect to music? How would you play music in your car, right? You could have a CD or you could have a cassette tape, but we're going to go into kind of the nuances. And a lot of people, they have no concept of or they don't remember. For example, when the CD came out, it was great. You could play a lot of music. It was digital. The sound quality was amazing. But every time you went over a speed bump, your song would stop and then skip, and then it would have to restart again. So there was literally an entire industry for many years dedicated just to preventing your song from skipping on a CD every time you went over a speed bump or your car moved up and down or you were jogging or anything like that. So we'll discuss all those particulars as well. I hope you find them interesting. And then another area we'll discuss, which is kind of separate from the information, internet, connectivity uh, advances that have been made, I'll also be able to go into, on an episode-by-episode basis, some of the amazing advances that have occurred in terms of molecular biology, chemistry, sequencing the human genome, what we know about how our bodies work and science and and things like that. And so that's going to also be interspersed with some of the other more practical episodes, such as how do you burn a CD, like I just touched upon. 
So with that said, a little bit about myself. Like I mentioned before, I'm one of the oldest living millennials on the planet. I was born in late February, almost March of 1982. And to put the world in context for you, in 1982, a little over 34 years ago, the President of the United States was Ronald Reagan. He was previously the Governor of California. He was an actor. Uh, and he was in his first term. He was elected in 1980, taking over from Jimmy Carter. And his vice president was George H.W. Bush, who later in the late 80s and early 90s was president of the United States. He was a one-term president from 1988 to 1992, after which Bill Clinton uh, won the election and was president from 92 to 2000. But what's notable about George H.W. Bush is he was the father of George W. Bush, who was the president-elect uh, in the year 2000 to 2008. And for those people are, who are history buffs, like myself, I was a history major, um, George W. Bush, who took office in January of 2000. Uh, and one, I believe, was one of the only presidents to lose the popular vote. He lost the popular vote by a small margin to Al Gore, but win the Electoral College in a very controversial election. So uh, all the hubbub currently about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, and Donald Trump won the Electoral College. So this has all happened before, rather recently. It happened in the 2000 election, so November of 2000. And believe it or not, in that election, I'll have a whole episode and podcast dedicated to that. Uh, many people, including myself, that was the first election where I could vote. We woke up on November, I believe it was 9th, uh, 2000, and we didn't know who the president was because they had this really close electoral college and Florida was the deciding state and you know it was just a, a total a total mess so in the last 16 years we've had two elections where the popular vote and the electoral college have gone different ways but I brought up 1982 because Ronald Reagan was president his vice president was George H.W. Bush who was later president and whose son was also president for two terms Another fun fact about 1982, in 1982, there were two Germanys. Germany was not a united state or united country. There was East Germany and there was West Germany. So West Germany was part of Europe as we know it today, and East Germany was the kind of communist bloc left over from World War, War II. In 1982, Russia, as you know it, did not exist. It existed as the USSR or the Soviet Union. So a lot of those Baltic states were all kind of wrapped into this Russian communist uh, uh, massive, massive state. And none of the, a lot of the Baltic states didn't have their own independence. And so Europe looked much different than it did today. Also in 1982, the Vietnam War ended in 1975. So we were less than a decade removed from the United States getting out of Vietnam. So seven years prior to 1982, the Vietnam War was still ongoing. Other interesting facts about 1982. In 1982, the Chicago Tylenol murders occurred. And this was an instance where, you know, a deranged individual walked into a store and he opened up bottles of Tylenol and he put cyanide, which is a deadly poison, 
capsules into the Tylenol capsules. Because at this time, what was on the shelves, they didn't put safety seals over them. And someone went in, he put cyanide and mixed them with Tylenol. People took this. I think seven or eight people died because of this. Huge amounts of Tylenol were recalled. And now, anytime you buy a bottle of Tylenol, it has a safety seal over it that you have to rip open or puncture. So if you've ever done that, taken the top off, it started in 1982 after, after this scare. In terms of pop culture, I'll note that in 1982, E.T. the movie was released. If you've ever seen that, it's very old. Uh, I'll note that it stars Drew Barrymore, who was just a child at the time, but that was a huge blockbuster movie that Steven Spielberg had done. Uh, I don't think any of the other actors in the movie um, had enduring fame other than Drew Barrymore, who again was was just a child. But that was, you know, like the biggest movie or one of the biggest box office movies ever in, in the 80s until it was surpassed by like Titanic or something like that in 1997. In terms of music, Michael Jackson actually re released his Thriller album. And this was kind of the peak or started the peak of, of Michael Jackson's success. So even though Michael Jackson prior to Thriller had been a hit artist with his brothers and, and the Jackson five, he'd only released one solo album in the seventies off the wall, which was very well received, but Thriller really put him onto a whole another level. And for many years over at least one or two decades after Thriller was released, it was the best selling us album ever. And it was neck and neck with the Eagles greatest hits, which was released in, I think the, you know, the, the mid to late, late 70s and so beat it thriller billy jean the moonwalk that all occurred as part of michael jackson's thriller album which was released in 1982 it stayed on top of the charts for most of 1983 and possibly into 1984 because it was just uh, such a, a huge huge album and he didn't release another solo album i think until 1987 which was the the bad album which was also a really successful album but it didn't approach you know nearly the the type of heights that thriller approached and after the release of thriller this is when michael jackson went and he also worked with uh disney to, to do captain eo which was a ride for many years and again i'll talk about that a little bit more later because that has actually been phased out of disneyland but you used to be able to go to disneyland in the olden times and Michael Jackson had his own attraction in Tomorrowland and his own song and his own video and his own audience experience. It was called Captain EO and it was insanely popular. You know, I, I waited in line for this on multiple occasions and I was blown away. It's, it's kind of similar to Star Tours. So, but again, I'll, I'll fill you in more on that later in another episode. Additionally, this is something that continues today. The first Toyota Camry was sold in 1982. So before 1982, no Toyota Camry. And in the early 80s and, and late 70s, it was actually still a little bit controversial to drive a Japanese car. As you know, the, America has a huge auto industry. You have Ford, you have GM, you have Chevy, you have Pontiac, you have Lincoln, you have this kind of Detroit car culture. And when Japanese cars Honda and Toyota first started getting entry into the U.S. marketplaces, people would kind of look at you sideways and be like, why are you driving a Japanese car? You know, even though the Japanese had made extraordinary advances 
with their automobile industry in terms of efficiency and reliability and things like that. And that really wasn't accepted uh, ubiquitously at the time. It was seen as kind of like, why are you buying this this foreign foreign car? from japan you know of of which in terms of the japanese cars the toyotas and and honda brand with the honda accord and the toyota camry really became hugely popular throughout the 80s so so both of those brands really gained a lot of momentum and in the 80s late 80s especially going into the early 90s the japanese economy was really booming and was incredibly successful so during the whole 80s time period Japan actually had the second biggest GDP next to the United States, uh, and then they entered a long period of stagflation. I think their GDP is is well behind Germany's, which was united now and is, was number two. And even Germany, I think, has been surpassed by China. But it, when you're looking back at the framework of the 80s, Japan had the number two GDP, and the GDP was growing, so their economy was doing really, really well in the 80s. And in part, that was due to chemical industry and the car industry and you know microelectronics and especially like you know semiconductor fabrication and, and things like that. But before 1982, there was no Toyota. And last but not least, item I will mention about 1982. 1982 was the first year that the Commodore 64 computer was launched. And I'll focus a little bit of time on this just because I'm a computer nerd and just because this was a really big deal. So prior to 1982, you could buy several different types of computers. One of the most popular computers was the Apple uh, two, I believe, was out at the time. This was the hobbyist most popular computer. It really made Apple into a hugely successful company. It sold really well. A lot of people had it. Uh, but after the Apple II, II success, then IBM came along with their computer, and it was more of like a generic type, type computer. Uh, but IBM computers, the quote-unquote PC, the IBM PC, was still pretty expensive and, and really was more of utilized in the business sector. And then along comes Commodore 64. Uh, so this computer was geared towards kind of the lower end market because back in those days, computers were still extremely expensive. So the Apple II was a good hobbyist computer, but most of those hobbyists were you know fairly well-to-do or they had a lot of disposable income. The Commodore 64, I think it sold for around $600, $550 to $600 back in, in 1982. Um, and it was called the Commodore 64 because the Commodore 64 had 64 kilobytes, not megabytes, not gigabytes, but 64 kilobytes of RAM. Okay, So for those of you who are familiar with the metric scale and things like that, uh, there's 1 million kilobytes to a gigabyte. Most computers today have anywhere from 8 to 16 gigabytes of RAM. The Commodore 64 had 64 kilobytes of RAM. So your laptop that you're listening to this on or the desktop PC that you you purchase has 125,000 to 250,000 times more RAM than the Commodore 64, which also had an 8-bit processor and was sold without a monitor. But regardless of all that, the Commodore 64 was incredibly popular. It was one of the most popular PCs, if not the most popular PC of all time. And you have to remember, back in 1982, 
PCs were really similar to console devices like a Nintendo or a PlayStation or an Xbox. You know, you really didn't upgrade it that much. They had one model, they produced it, and you bought it, and you, you couldn't really add on or, or, or do much to it. There was the same processor, the same amount of RAM. Now, a few years down the line, they would release newer models of the Commodore 64 that had better processor or more RAM or something along those lines. But generally speaking, once you bought your machine, you had that, its hardware was set, and you kept using the same hardware for multiple years. So the product cycle wasn't nearly as quick, and people weren't making advances uh, nearly the pace that they were, for example, in something you do today. So today, if you were to buy a computer, you could use it, you know, and your video card would be outdated very rapidly. Six months to a year, there's going to be a, a new release. That really didn't happen back, in, you know, in, in 1982. Okay, so I hope that gave you some sort of mindset about how different things were just a short time ago. And throughout each episode, hopefully I can give you a really good context of some of the changes that have taken place and what's gone on in terms of the information revolution and the technological revolution and a lot of other things that you don't think about on a day-to-day -day basis. And I will also go into other type of like pop, pop culture or food things as well. And just to give you an end on a little bit of a personal note, I myself, as a historian, had kind of an aha moment. And this is really simple and, and really stupid, but I remember being a little kid, and this is in 1987, so I was about five years old, and uh, my grandfather uh, was visiting because we you know, had just moved and he was bringing us some furniture. So he drove across country from Virginia. And it was like a real big treat back in those days to go to McDonald's and to get a Happy Meal. But I had graduated, just graduated from the Happy Meal to being able to order you know, whatever I, I wanted from the menu at McDonald's. And another side note, is that, I mean, McDonald's in the 80s was peaking, 80s and early 90s. Like, that was the premier fast food restaurant. They had the Happy Meal, they had Ronald McDonald, they had a Play Place, you name it. But anyways, I was five, I was growing, and my grandfather said, no, you don't have to order a Happy Meal. And what I did was I went in, and I did what my dad always did, and I ordered a Big Mac. And so I eat this Big Mac. It's really good. I like it. And I'm talking to my grandpa, Big Mac, Big Mac, Big Mac, man. Don't you love a Big Mac? And he said, well, you know, um, I typically order the, the cheeseburger or the double cheeseburger. I'm like, well, why would you order that? You know, you're an adult. You can get a Big Mac. This is a Big Mac. And he said, oh, well, um, I don't know if you know this, Will, but uh, for many years, we didn't even have McDonald's. And that blew my mind because as a little kid, I thought, wow, I thought McDonald's were everywhere. You know, like the the Constitution was, was ratified, the ink dried, and boom, McDonald's spread across the country. And he said, no, no, you know, we don't, we, we didn't have McDonald's until the early 1960s. And, and even when we did have the McDonald's, they didn't have a Big Mac. They just had cheeseburgers and hamburgers. So when I went to McDonald's for, you know... 1960 through up until 1970, their menu only had four things on it. Cheeseburger, 
hamburger, double cheeseburger, double ham hamburger, french fries, and a shake. And for some reason, that blew my mind because it kind of changed my perspective and I realized like, oh, you know, the menu wasn't always like this. There was a process and we somehow got from point A, the cheeseburger or hamburger, to point B, the Big Mac, and then point C, the filet fish and all these other items on the menu. And I never really stopped to think about how things were. Just a little while before I was born, I just assumed, well, things are like this now, so they must have always been like that forever. And it wasn't. And I was glad that, that he mentioned that. And that's what kind of piqued my interest in all these kind of little nuances that I myself took for granted and that tons of people took for granted. And that story goes today because I have a, a cousin, or not a cousin, but a nephew, and you talk to them and you take them to Taco Bell, continuing with the fast food example, and the same thing happens. This is, you know, history repeats itself. You go in and they order a chalupa and they love this thing. It's got the thick outer crust. It has a little bit of cheese on it, some veggies, this, you know, like white ranch type sauce. And the kids eat this up and they, they love chalupas and they, they, oh man, this chalupas, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, it's so good. It's crunchy. And I'm thinking back and I'm like, man, I remember a time when there were no chalupas and there was a gordita. And then I can go back even further, and there wasn't even a gordita. You just got a hard taco or a soft taco. And it was years of hard taco or soft taco before the gordita came along. And then once the gordita came along, then they introduced a chalupa. And when the chalupa was introduced, there was only two or three flavors. And then those went through their own multiple iterations over multiple years. And then finally... Somewhere in like 2002 or 2003, we arrive at the current menu of chalupas at Taco Bell. And the same thing can be said about a lot of things in politics, in culture, in music, with data storage, with the ubiquity of email. Of, you know, what was it like before Gmail when you didn't really have unlimited storage and you couldn't really send attachments to people? So I hope that kind of frames everything a little bit and as we go through episode by episode you'll kind of see we're going to go through the progression of how we got to where we are today and looking at all the little tiny things that happened and hopefully you'll learn something and it will be insightful you can feel free to email me or um, write something in the comments if you have a question i'll do my best to answer it where applicable, I'll try to provide sources. I go to the public library and get books and things like that. So that will be easy for me to be able to say, oh, I, I got this from this book if you want to check it out or read it or something like that. And I'll do my best to kind of attribute facts or, or things like that to authors. Um, I use Wikipedia sometimes. And that's difficult to do to attribute it back to a certain author or article. But a lot of stuff I just will, will try to do from, from memory, you know, growing up through the 80s and the 90s and really, you know, being a person who started buying cassette tapes but who knew people who had record players and then got a CD and it was terrible because it skipped all the time and then got a mini disc, which was didn't skip but went out of style and then 
got the first iPad or iPod, excuse me, and started storing music digitally and used Napster and MP3s and all all those sorts of things. So we'll take a a slow and methodical walk through the annals of history to get to where we are today and you know who knows what 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 tomorrow will bring because the the pace of technology is just changing so rapidly and then it will also give you insight when you talk to older people because they grew up in a world that was drastically different from the world that we grew up in and the same thing for some kid who's born today or five years ago or something like that they'll just have no recollection of of the kind of daily ins and outs of of what it was like uh, 15 or 20 years ago. So thanks for tuning in, and hopefully you check out uh, the next episode. Will Evans is signing off.